Friends, if you could turn in your Bibles, please, to Paul's second letter to the Corinthians in chapter 8. If you have a pew Bible, it's page number 1781, 1781, in a pew Bible. Second Corinthians 8, I'm going to read from verse 1 through to verse 9. Maybe you have that portion of scripture open in front of you. We will read it together. As we often say, this is the word of God. It's God's word to us. And it is authoritative. It's inerrant. It's infallible. May God be pleased to speak to us this morning through the reading and the proclamation of his precious word. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 1 Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first give themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urge Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abounded in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge, in all diligence and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. That you through his poverty might become rich. Amen. So reads God's precious word. Roger in the notice sheet and his little article referenced Second uh, Corinthians 8 verse 9. In coming weeks... I will want to, I aim to, by God's grace, home in on verse 9 and look at that verse fairly, fairly uh, thoroughly. Now, obviously, there's a context to the verse. So it's the context that I want to look at this morning with yourselves. Uh, the opening eight verses of the chapter, as you can gather from the reading, addressed the subject of Christian giving, how we give to the work of the Lord. As Christians, how we are to give to the Lord and to his purpose is very, very pertinent. Now, Paul is going to cover this subject in two chapters, chapter 8 and chapter 9, but my aim is to go no further, as I say, than verse 9, and so we will obviously not be covering all of the material it's given to us. I just want to introduce what goes on around verse 9 
this morning. So Paul begins in the uh, first eight verses with the principle that he wants to get across. And the first principle is simply this. Giving is the behavior of adoring, passionate, devout Christians. Where you have a fervent, devout Christian or Christians, there you have givers. All they need to have is an opportunity and they will respond to that opportunity. Christian devotion, Christian dedication, Christian commitment results in Christian giving and generosity. And Paul is calling on the Corinthians to give to the saints in Jerusalem who were very, very poor. They were without resources and their needs were fast. Now, this call was not, you know, a one-time offering. It was a systematic weekly offering. And you say, well, Billy, how do you know that? Well, when Paul writes to the Corinthians in the first letter, 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 and 2, he says that these offerings were to be collected every week. That's why we take up an offering on a weekly basis. And he says, each uh, week you lay something aside to give to the work of the Lord. So to begin with, he uses this main principle that giving is the behavior of devout Christians. And to make his point, he uses an example. And the example that he uses are the Macedonian churches mentioned there at the end of verse 1. The churches of Macedonia were basically, well, they were three churches. Uh, The church at Philippi, the church at Thessalonica, and the church at Berea. And they were givers. They were devout Christians. And they behaved in a very generous way in the matter of their giving. And so you see how they serve as an illustration or an example uh, to the churches. And Paul wants to instruct both the Corinthians and all Christians through time, ourselves included, to follow the pattern of the Macedonian churches. What was it that made them exemplary? How did they give? With what spirit? Did they give? In what manner did they give? Well, all of that is outlined for us in verses 1 through 8. So notice, first of all, that giving was initiated by God's grace. Verse 1 is a reminder to us that it was the grace of God given to the Macedonians Uh, that so totally transformed their lives that turned uh, turned them into givers. It's not just a human act, you see. This is just not some uh, philanthropy. You know, this this isn't just some, you know, uh, noble uh, human action. No, friends, what we are talking about here is a level of giving 
a level of sacrifice that is unique to those who have been transformed by God's grace. In other words, those who have been born again, who have been saved, and they have been sanctified by the power of God to his gracious work. And secondly, we see they're giving transcendent, difficult circumstances. When you know uh, something of their circumstances in these Macedonian churches, um, Paul hints at it in that passage. Um, you know, they, were, they weren't affluent churches. Uh, they were churches that were poor themselves. And uh, you would think when you uh, knew a little bit about their background that it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been a time or an occasion for them to actually give. You know, you would have expected them to maybe say, well, charity begins at home and we're struggling ourselves. And so we have to make sure that we're okay before we even think about giving to anybody else. And uh, in spite of their, the persecution that they were facing, and in spite of the economic deprivation, uh, we, we find that they give. Isn't that what he says there in verse 2? He says, they give in a great trial of affliction and deep poverty. In spite of that, thirdly, we see that they give joyfully. They were generous. It says in verse 2, again, it references the abundance of their joy and their liberality. So this giving, this giving was initiated by grace. It transcended difficult circumstances. It was joyous and not hindered by poverty. Certainly generous. And moving to verse 3, we see, fourthly, their giving was proportionate. That is, that they give according to their ability, according to what they were capable of giving in proportion to what they had. And yet, and yet it was also sacrificial. Sacrificial because they went the second mile, so to speak, giving beyond their ability, and they were freely willing. You know, there was no strong-arm tactics here. Uh, There was no emotional manipulation. So it was proportionate. It was sacrificial. And it was voluntary. And when it comes to our giving, when it comes to worshipping God through our offering, it should certainly be proportionate, sacrificial, and voluntary. Now, we know that sometimes when it comes to uh, giving, people ask for a guide. And usually Malachi 3 verse 10 is referenced as a guide. Bring all the tithes, bring a tenth into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me, try, try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out such blessing that there will not be room enough 
who receive it. Now that's from Malachi 3 verse 10. Say people sometimes use it as a reference. But understand this friends. That is not a New Testament command. We are not commanded to tithe. What we are given in the New Testament are models and examples of giving. And the Macedonians are viewed as such here. And for them, giving was viewed as a privilege, not an obligation. Look at verses 3 and 4. I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. Verse 4. Imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. So not only did they give freely, but they were imploring. I imploring is a very strong word. It's a pleading word. It's a begging word. It's used in Luke chapter 8 verse 28 of the words of the demonic who was crying, imploring, pleading with Jesus not to torment him. It's used elsewhere in the New Testament to speak of strong pleading, strong imploring. Um, Perhaps uh, to quote J.P. Be Philip's paraphrase of that verse, it might give you an idea of the sense of it. Philip's paraphrase is it they simply, these Macedonians, they simply begged us to accept their gifts and so let them share the honors of supporting their brothers in Christ. Like sometimes, you know, people would say, you know, here's a gift and you know something of their poverty and you say, look, don't worry about it. I'll be okay. And they, they practically force the gift upon you. And they say, no, take it. I want you to give it. The Lord has laid this upon my heart. Don't be robbing me of my blessing. And that's the idea here. That this, this, these group of churches, they were poverty stricken. They'd taken up an offering. Substantial offering. Maybe if Paul said, well, I know your situation, don't, don't worry about it. They were imploring him, pleading with him, begging with him. No, you've got to take this. We want to be in fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. So the Macedonians, you see, are pleading, they're imploring as, as if... And as if that's not enough, he adds with much urgency. That's the word for exhortation. With much exhortation, literally, it's the word for coming alongside, earnestly begging for the opportunity. And what are they begging for with much urgency? That we would receive the gift or favor the word for grace, it's the word charis, to fellowship and ministering. Take it, Paul, because we want to be in fellowship. 
with these churches. So, beloved, do you see what it's saying here? The people are urgently, urgently imploring Paul for the special grace of being able to have fellowship with the saints by supporting them through their giving. They are begging for the privilege of giving, for the charis, for the grace, the blessing, the benediction of being partners, sharing in the support of the gospel of Jesus Christ with these saints. They feud giving as a privilege, as I say, not an obligation. They feud giving as a way to express their generosity on behalf of the fellowship, their love of the brotherhood, people that they'd never even met, people that they'd never set eyes upon, people in Jerusalem, but they heard they were suffering and in need. They responded. They feud giving as a way to be partners in a shared life. They feud giving as a way to express Grace and blessing and receive it in return from God. Giving was a a way to support the ministry. So they were literally begging for the personal blessing of sharing the needs uh, of the of the saints. They had say they had never met them. And they wanted to do this not because of anything other than that they had generous hearts as a result of God working in their hearts. That's just the way they were. They were defied Christians, and giving is the behavior of defied Christians. No reluctance, no resistance, no lack of joy. They were willing to give, eager to give. They give hilariously. You know, that's how they are defined. In uh, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, you know, God loves a cheerful giver. It's God loves a hilarious giver. That's the, the idea. Now you, you know, your heart is right in giving when you're looking for places to give. When you're looking for opportunities to give. When you're eager to give. When you see it as a privilege, when you beg, when you implore for the opportunity to give, that's the kind of giving that is exemplary giving. Notice also, fifthly, their giving was viewed as an act of worship. Now that's verse 5. That's why we say we will take up an offering, we will worship God. Through our offering, verse 5, they give not only as we had hoped, but they first give themselves to the Lord. And I stop there for a moment. He says this was, this was more than we could have hoped for. This is more than we could have expected. This was more than we could ever have anticipated. What are you talking about, Paul? Well, they give themselves. In other words, it was total dedication. 
We were hoping for an offering, but they give themselves. And listen, when they give themselves, they give everything they had. They made it disposable, they made it dispensable, they made it available. Because when you give yourself, everything with you comes with the giving. They first, they first, meaning not first in time, but first in priority. Their first priority The leading issue, the primary issue, was they give themselves to the Lord. And that is the supreme act of worship, isn't it? You turn over to uh, Romans chapter 12 for a moment. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Just by cross-referencing Scripture with Scripture... Uh, you'll see how this, uh, this important text is taught. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service or your reasonable service of worship. We worship on Sunday, morning and evening. It's the Lord's Day. And we worship and the Lord is pleased with that. We worship when we praise Him. God is pleased with that. But we worship most and most importantly when we give ourselves as the offering. When we offer ourselves all that we are, have, and ever hope to be, unconditionally, unreservedly, we give ourselves to Christ. That is what the Macedonians had done. That's what Romans 12 verse 1 is calling for. We are to present ourselves a living and holy sacrifice. We are to lay ourselves on the altar. God, I give it all up. Everything I am, everything I have, everything I hope, all to Jesus, I surrender. I surrender all. That's what a sacrifice is. That's our spiritual service of worship. That's where worship starts. And beloved, once you give yourself as a sacrifice and all that you are and have as a sacrifice, everything else will follow. When you say, I am yours, O Lord... When you say, I am all yours. When you say, I am completely yours and everything I possess is yours. That's where the Macedonians were. And once you have done that, 
Beloved, you have started to understand and get a handle on worship. And as I say, this is not a one-time deal. It's why you do it over and over. It's why weekly we take up an offering. We do it because, as somebody says, no sooner do you put yourself on the altar than you crawl back off again. This is something you have to do over and over again. These Macedonians first give themselves and then everything followed. That is the supreme act of worship. And it involves, as it says, verse 2 there in Romans 12, involves not being conformed to this world. You know, beloved, you can't be sucked up in, in the materialistic realm and do this. You can't be consumed with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and do this. No, beloved, you have to be transformed. You have to be born again. You have to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, you have to think in a way that is outside of this world, if you like. You have to think in a way that comes from another world. You have to have the mind of Christ. You have to set your affection on things above and not on things below. Then you will be able to prove what is the good and acceptable will of God. What pleases God is the total sacrifice of yourself. We are a royal priesthood. First Peter chapter 2. What do we offer? Holy sacrifices, the first of which is ourselves and all that we have. The Macedonians did that, and that's the example, that's the model that Paul is pulling in here for these Corinthians. It required nonconformity to the world. It required transformation of the mind to a spiritually godly way of thinking. Rejection of the world and its standards, acceptance of the mind of Christ. Commitment to his will, his plans, his purposes, and his pleasures. And that's exactly what the Macedonians did. They give it all. It was all the Lord's. And they were just stewards of everything they were and everything they possessed. And that produced generous, sacrificial giving. And just this morning, you can turn back to Second Corinthians uh, 8 again. We'll pick up verse 5 in a second. But just share with you this morning. Um, every Sunday morning, uh, Pastor Jeremy Walker would send uh, a text out to a number of pastors just to encourage them before they... You know, preach during the course of the day. Sometimes those texts are tremendous and you'll say, well, I want to get going here. Other times you read them and you think, never want to see a pulpit in my life. But um, yeah, he just sends out these texts, you know, from Andrew Bonner, Spurgeon, etc. This morning was from uh, Bonner, uh, his uh, ministerial confessions, but it, it tied in just with what um, I was speaking about here. And this is what Bonner says. He says, we have sought to please ourselves instead of pleasing our neighbor for his good edification. 
We have not borne one another's burdens, so fulfilling the law of Christ. We have been worldly, covetousness. We have not presented ourselves unto God as living sacrifices, laying ourselves, our lives, our substance, our time, our strength, our faculties, are all upon his altar. We seem to have totally lost sight of this self-sacrificing principle on which Christians are called to act. Yet ought not the life of every Christian to be a life of self-sacrifice and self-denial, even as the life of him who pleased not himself, but loved us and gave himself for us. Well, you've got Second uh, Corinthians uh, before you again. Look at verse 5. I think this is the sixth one, but notice their giving was in submission to their pastors. Now you'll notice at the end of the verse, the end of verse 5, there is a statement made that's very important. It's that little statement, by the will by the will of God. See it there at the end of verse 5? It is the will of God that they first give themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. They not only give themselves to the Lord, but they give themselves, Paul says, to us, to Titus, to myself, to Timothy, to their pastors, to their spiritual leaders. They were submissive. In fact, their devotion to the Lord led these Macedonians to easily and eagerly submit to the leadership of their pastors. They realized that those men were under shepherds of Christ, who stood in the place of Christ, giving direction and leadership to the church of Jesus Christ. And they responded to their leadership. God wants his people to respond not only to him, but to his leaders as well. And that's pretty clear, isn't it? You know, First Peter 5, verse 5, submit yourselves to your elders. You have it also in uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do it with joy and not with grief. You have the same thing in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13. We urge you, we implore you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you for the Lord, uh, over you in the Lord, and admonish you to esteem them very highly in love for the work's sake. Based on the example of the Macedonians, because of the tremendous example of the Macedonians, submission, uh, he says, what he's saying is, you do likewise as they submitted to their leaders, so you submit. To your leaders. They're the model. And in 1 Corinthians 16. You know when they had started to take up this offering. A year or so has passed. By the time you get into. Uh, you get the second letter to the Corinthians. You know, Titus had begun this. He had initiated this offering for the church in Jerusalem. And now it seems when we get to uh, 2 Corinthians 8. It seems that. Uh, 
The giving had gone on the back burner. They had slackened off a little bit. And verse 6 implies, look, you need to get back on track again. What Titus began, you complete so that you can share in this grace as well. Now, just a little footnote here. You know, whenever people in a church become disillusioned because they're leaders, uh, they, come, they become disillusioned about their leaders, uh, their giving can drop. It happened in Corinth. Happens today. Always happens. On one occasion, um, it was implied that it was happening here. When lies and rumors and untruths were being spread, the giving hadn't gone down, at least not to the extent that it was implied, it was, suge- it was suggested. People were withholding their offering. And on paper, made it look like the giving had dropped quite substantially. In the region of 14,000. So much so that we wouldn't be able to support a pastor. Now that little footnote is mentioned only. Only to illustrate. That things like this do happen in gospel churches. And particularly where congregations legitimately have leaders that are not faithful. You see it within parts of Anglicanism and Methodism where they're peddling all sorts of unbiblical nonsense. It has an immediate effect on people's giving because where the flock are confused, anxious, or distrust at the level of leadership, they are hard-pressed to be generous. The congregation, understandably, has a very difficult time expressing their giving the way it ought to be expressed. Now, beloved, we thank and praise the Lord that certainly in recent years, God has given faithful leadership to this little fellowship. And we do thank God for trustworthy Honourable office bearers at the helm of this little church. And for your confidence as a congregation in the oversight evidenced by the sacrificial giving which we see constantly coming from yourselves. And beloved, it is all of grace. Don't you love the fact that he calls it a gracious work there in verse 6? It was the grace of God that gave them the privilege of graciously giving. And it's the grace of God that gives us the privilege of graciously giving. Paul says to the Corinthians, you're showing grace to these poor saints in Jerusalem and God will not ignore that. And so you empty your cup. God is going to fill it back up again. God will give you grace upon grace upon grace. So when you receive an exhortation that there's an area of need and you respond, 
It doesn't lead to impoverishing, but enriching. God fills it all back up again. Grace upon grace. I see it regularly in role as you know, chairman in the Council of Slavic Gospel Association. Need in uh, Eastern Europe, whether it's Ukraine or Moldova or Far East Russia or Moldova. Request comes in. We send thousands, ten thousands, and hundreds of thousands come back in. It's the way our God works, isn't it? You give out and he fills up. So, beloved, just to round off the context behind, behind verse 9, and we'll come specifically to verse 9, God willing, next week. Notice how giving was in line with and concert with other Christian virtues. Verse 7. You abound in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. Now, you see, beloved, it's not giving, not giving in a vacuum. It's not giving in isolation. It's not giving contrary to what's in your heart. This kind of giving is in perfect harmony with other Christian virtues. You find me a heart filled with faith, utterance, knowledge, earnestness, and love. And beloved, I will show you a heart that is generous. It's in combination, it's in line with, in harmony with, it's a network, if you like. You see, giving was a proof of love. Verse 8, so important. He says, I speak not by commandment. Isn't that amazing? You know, this isn't legalism. This isn't you have to do this. You have to give. Giving is never according to legalism. It's never according to obligation. It's never according to some prescription. It is giving freely. And he's saying, I'm not commanding you, but I'm asking you to prove your love. As the Macedonians proved their love, by giving off themselves. I'll tell you one thing about giving that verifies the level of your love. You know, you can give without loving. That's required giving. But you can't love without giving, and the amount of your giving expresses the amount of your love. So to sum it all up, the Macedonians are set forth here by the Apostle Paul in Scripture as a model, as an example. They show us that giving is to be initiated by grace, that it is to be a supernatural kind of giving. It's to, to uh, transcend difficult circumstances. It's to be done with joy, not hindered by poverty. It is to be generous, proportionate, sacrificial and voluntary it is to be sought as a privilege and not as an obligation it's part of our worship it is to be done in submission to pastors and leaders it is to be in concert and harmony with other christian virtues 
and it is to prove our love to God through his son, Jesus Christ, and his people. That's the Macedonian model for giving. The giving of devout Christians. Such giving, beloved, is the path of blessing. A path that I pray you and I are eager to walk. Amen.